Welcome to Help From Future Self. Hey Archons, what's happening? Welcome to Help From Future Self, a casual Keyforge podcast amongst Keyforge pals. My name is Scuzzy Groom, but my mom calls me Alex, and I'm joined by my pals Boulevard Paper Fight, who is also known as Blake. Yo, what's going on? And the Wheeling Keyforger himself, it's Rick. Hey. Gentlemen, we got to play a bunch of Keyforge over the course of the last week. Yeah, we did. It was a lot of fun. Some new experiences were had. Definitely. And you guys had a lot of fun while doing so? Yep. Oh, 100%. One of the things that I really enjoyed about our last week of Keyforge, and we'll get into some of the fine details as we go on here, is that we got to play a bunch of different formats, which I think is one of the things that is really great about Keyforge, and especially about Keyforge as it was birthed. Right out of the gate, they suggested so many different ways that you could play Keyforge, and not all of them have taken off, but they're always there as a back pocket thing that you can do anytime you happen to be playing the game, and I really like that, and it's proven to be a thing that I think has really just enhanced the game experience for me so very much. For me too. Yep. All right. So uh, we're going to get things started off here with a little discussion of a brand new app that hit the uh, uh, Apple and Android app store this week called Ranky. And Ranky is yet another in uh, schemes that folks have for figuring out how strong your deck is. And uh, this one's got a very slick interface. I was very taken with it from a looks perspective. It also takes into account the classic SAS and AERC ratings, as well as having its own Ranky rating. So I wanted to put it to you guys. Do you have a hot take on Ranky as it has come out? Blake? Yeah, I um, I both love it and don't love it, as with kind of all ranking systems. Uh, the one thing is it's great for on-the-fly deck scores where you don't have to go through the arduous process of going into your decks of Keyforge uh, web page, copying it, then opening up a, a um, sorry, your Master Vault page and then going into decks of Keyforge and then going that way. It literally just loads it right away. And there was a bug with it, but uh, there was an app update today. So it looks like they fixed that bug as well as uh, added in decimal point scores. So you have a more um, diverse ranking of your decks, which was pretty cool. And like all of these ranking systems, you take it with a grain of salt. But since it does use the AERC as part of the indicator, which I find with SAS that is not taken into it when they they rank the decks, I love that because that's my favorite metric to look at decks about. Indeed, indeed. Rick, did you get a chance to look at Ranky? I had a chance to look at it. I like it from a, a looks perspective. I started to look at putting my decks in and somewhere there was a miss. A missed step somewhere so my lists aren't uh syncing up properly so i'm gonna have to redo it i think and just make sure that i got everything in there um i do have to say that uh it's a system that very much favors its own rating and by that i mean that it actually like lists your decks by their ranky rating, which is a zero to 100 scale, which I like because it's nice, it's easy to understand. Your deck's either a 100 or a zero or a number in between that. And it's fairly easy for people, I think, to, to comprehend that at first blush. But looking at it, um, I think it has some of the same problems that a lot of the rating systems have, where I feel that it really overrates certain cards and certain factions uh, when it comes to ranking the deck. So when I was looking at it, it picked out my decks that had, you know, the big shadows cards. Um, you know, your bait and switches, you're too much to protect and so on and so forth. And oh, yeah, I was pushing those way, 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 way up um, to the point of one of them being, you know, sort of in the 94th percentile. 
And if it was lacking those, it seemed like any of my non-shadows decks were really tumbling down into like the 60th percentile and so forth. And that's problematic to me because I think one of the things that we've really proven over, you know, the last eight, nine months of Keyforge gameplay has been that synergy matters so much more than individual card strength. And although all of the ranking systems, I think, have taken steps to try and really capture those synergies, we're not there yet. And Ranky hasn't really making any big strides in that arena. Would you agree with that statement, gents? I definitely would. Yeah, and I think it's also because Ranky is essentially all it is is decks of Keyforge. It is, like they even say that. They're not using anything special. It's like, what is your SAS score? What is your AAR score? And they basically combine them together to some oh. way to make it. So it's, it is nothing more than the decks of Keyforge score, just taking into account your AARC. So it's not just being ranked purely on the SAS. That's essentially all it's doing. It's honestly nothing special in terms of their, their like own program or their ranking. It's just taking both of those into account when prioritizing um, which deck is higher than the other. So that's why cards that have, shadows and dissonant go higher because in tournament play those are seen more so therefore they have a higher card rating which makes your sas score higher and so on and so forth so because it's all going off the the sas and decks of keyforge ratings that's what's creating that and that's why i just like it to have a quick view of the aerc not necessarily the sas because when you open a deck sometimes and you're looking at different things just an easy way on the fly to get that information and kind of have an idea what your um, expected ember is your ability to put people off keys with your ember control and then seeing what your creature board control can be. And that's why I really like it. Yeah. I mean, uh, uh, I'm going to say this straight up. It's the first time that we've had a real proper app as opposed to just an individual website that you could open up on your personal device. And so the speed of being able to load decks, like the moment you've scanned them and immediately put them in and start picking them apart in terms of that AERC score is huge. And I certainly don't want to take anything away from the makers of the app. Um, they did a really bang up job and I'm sure it'll improve with time in terms of uh, some of the, the, the little things with it. We had a little issue with it the other day that seems to have been resolved even in the last 24 hours with importing decks when you aren't on Wi-Fi. So obviously they're putting in work on it and I, I want to commend them for putting it together because it's a really cool resource to have access to. Um, I think that just, uh, you know, the, the problem with it is more of a general problem with the way that we try to assess Keyforge. And it's not something that I lay at their feet, but I think it's a community issue that we still don't have a solution for. This has yeah. also taken the secondary market by storm. If you go onto like the Facebook, everyone's just posting their ranky scores. And so many people are like, I don't care about your ranky score. Give me your deck list so I can actually look at it and see it. So it's kind of funny. Here's another thing that I'm going to put out there, um, and this is probably, if it's all based on decks of Keyforge ratings, something that we probably have to, to think about at a certain point, all of my Age of Ascension decks uh, are, are ranking lower than my general and average Coda decks. I don't know if you found that to be the case. I know you have a very, very good AOA deck, Blake. Yeah, that one, that's my top deck. Actually, my top three decks are AOA. Really? Yeah. Maybe it's well, just me. Not then. anymore. I just sold one of them, so my top two decks are AOA. Oh, wheeling and dealing. I actually just bought a uh, a fun Heart of the Forest deck from my man Dan. He gave me a, a good deal. That's Dan from the Sanctimonious podcast. Yes, sir. Can we give a shout out to Dan for sending us those delightful archive cards? Yes, Absolutely he actually loved um, them. They're fantastic. He sent me some more so we can uh, spread them out to more people in our community. 
And while we're sending out shoutouts, I want to give a shout out to everybody who's been giving us uh, uh, feedback on the podcast. It's been really excellent. We know that folks have been checking it out and been spreading the word about it. Um, and we wanted to thank you. So if you're listening yeah. and you've told folks about us, or even if you're just giving us a, a couple minutes out of your week every single week to listen to us, uh, you know, chit chit chat about Keyforge, we really do appreciate that. Thank you so very much. Yeah, truly grateful. Thank you, guys. Every one of us. All right. So it's time for one of our popular recurring segments. This one's called Over Under. And the premise here is that we pick a card, and it can be from either set, either Age of Ascension or Call of the Archons, and we say whether or not it has been overperforming or underperforming for us in recent games. So, Blake, I know you got one for us this week, and this one might be a little bit spicy. What you got for us? So today, it's actually two cards because they both fall under the same category of whether they are over or under. And that's what my whole thing is today, is that the cards I have are over and under, but it's depending on your deck. And if your deck doesn't have certain qualities... They will completely underperform, but if it does have them, they're going to like perform over like crazy. So the two cards are both Sanctum cards, and they both are dependent on a couple things. So the first one I'm going to talk about is Anahita the Traitor. So it's a two-power creature that has a reapability that says, give control of a friendly artifact to your opponent, and if you do, they must give you two Ember. So it's essentially stealing, but they're willingly giving it to you. So... Uh, it's really powerful if you have artifacts in your deck, and especially artifacts that are not super important to your strategy of gameplay. Mm -hmm. But I mean, at the end of the day, if you're in a position where they're going to win if they don't get taken off a key, then any artifact you have is going to do the trick. So that's why I think Anahita can be very powerful, because you can have some decks that have a lot of artifacts, and then that synergy is going to give you basically the opportunity to just reap and steal a key. And if you have cards that give uh, armor boost like a bond or if you have something that's going to create a taunt ability things like that it's going to keep it protected as well so it can be really powerful but on the reverse side if you do not have any artifacts or your artifacts are super essential to you it's going to be an awful card for you it's just going to completely just have no effect and just basically be a two power creature that reaps and doesn't do anything can I tell you about a jerk move that I pulled with that card this past weekend when we were playing Sealed? Yes, I'd love to hear it. Uh, we were playing Sealed Adaptive, which we're going to be talking about in a little bit. Um, and my opponent's deck, uh, he handed me uh, a deck that had the Sting and Anahita the Traitor. And you can probably see where this is going. Um, I put down the Sting and then I gave it to them. And they did not have Shadows in the deck where they were playing. So they had to call Shadows, which they did not have any other cards in to get rid of the Sting so that they could forge a key. It was pretty sweet. Yeah, that's, that's again, see, synergies like that are amazing with it. It can do some cool stuff. But if you don't have it, that's the case. And that was the case for me this past weekend also in playing the Adaptive Sealed is I had a deck with only two artifacts, and one of them was Fetch Drones, which was also my only Ember Control. And the other one was, um, what was it? The Potion of Invulnerability. So basically, that's a huge advantage, both those being given to my opponent. Now, the second card, which falls under the same uh, context of you needing the deck to do it, is Mother Norel. And this is another two-power Sanctum creature that is elusive and has a reap. Move one ember from a friendly creature to your pool. So again, I had only capture being fetch drones in this deck. So both of my cards relied on fetch drones to be successful. But I, the way Sanctum is, is it could be very powerful. Because if you have an Obad the Grim, 
you could essentially reap with a bod, remove an ember from it. Uh, it captures three, and you reap with Mother Norel, and that turn you basically just got three ember from reaping with two creatures. So it could be very powerful if you get a lot of capture, which Sanctum does have, so it's not out of the realm of possibility. But in the deck I had, I did not have a lot of capture, so it was very underwhelming. And that's why I feel like these cards could be an over or an under, depending on the composition of your deck. Alex, how about you? Did you have an over-under for us this week? I do have an over-under. I had a very Marzy uh, weekend with a lot of the stuff that I was playing, and it's been a lot of fun. I'm really enjoying Mars in the Age of Ascension. I feel like the house has really come into its own, but I, I got to call this one out because I feel like it's one of the areas where I look at this and I go, what, really, for real? Um, Shard of Hate, the Mars Shard, is a severe underperformer, and I say that, grading it on the curve of other shards so let's look at the shards shall we shard of greed in shadows you reap with it you get amber equal to the number of shards that you have in play so that's a very bare minimum or action i guess with it rather than reap you get yeah. one amber and if you got other shards out up to three that's pretty cool in logos you get the shard of knowledge you reap with it you get to draw a card equal to the number of shards that you have on the table. That's pretty cool. One to three cards. The Shard of Hate and Mars. Action, stun an enemy creature for each friendly shard. I mean, that's not useless, but if we're thinking about what you get from all those other shards, like the top tier shards, it's not doing a whole lot for me. Um, stuns are great, but at the same time, it is the bottom tier of uh, shards as far as I'm concerned. I agree. And uh, it, it is kind of a thing where I look at it and I'm like, there's already so much stun stuff going on in Mars that it feels a little anticlimactic. The chances of this being the thing that you have handy that, you know, causes the stuns to happen versus any of the other cards in Mars that'll that'll give you that stun, I, I, I'm not feeling it. I think it would have been more interesting based on some of the flavor that's been happening with Mars is you get to put uh, an enemy creature into your archives for each That shard. would be fun. I feel like that would be more in line with kind of a Mars theme and actually have a significant power to it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and also be like equivalent of other shards that are in the game right now. Yeah. You know, I, I, I guess, I, you know, by design, it's not necessarily the case that every card needs to, you know, provide, you know, an equivalent power to its sort of, I guess, um, it's equal in another house or it's equivalent in another house. But if I'm looking at, you know, Shard of Hope, it can get people off of a key by capturing, and Shard of Life lets you shuffle a card from your discard pile into your deck, which is insane. Yep. Then, you know, looking at Shard of Hate, it's just, it ain't it ain't doing it for me. I'd, I'd sooner take Shard of Strength in Brobnar, where you give a friendly creature a plus one power counter for each friendly shard. That's how much I, I'm not feeling the Shard of Hate. So, do better. From everything that I've heard and listened to through videos and whatnot, they all rank Mars Shard as the least powerful. And I happen to agree with that. So it's general consensus, I guess, on this one. Yep. All right. So moving on from this segment, let's talk a little bit about the sealed adaptive that we got to play this past weekend. It was at a friend of ours's place, and he was very kind to host us. Shout out to Matt's if he's listening. Thank you, Matt's. And uh, yeah, we, we had a great time. He had a bunch of friends, Keyforge players, non-Keyforge players who were learning the game, which is really fun as well. And 
basically he he tossed everybody a brand new sealed deck we cracked him open and then we played best two out of three with uh it going to uh bid for chains uh for the third game if uh, deck went one one so i just wanted to get your general impression guys rick how did you feel about playing this format did you feel like it was a fresh new experience for you as a keyforge player i loved the format um my deck however it was very complex and complicated i just couldn't figure it out and i didn't actually get in that tournament i didn't get to go to to chains because i was getting blown out to a, or o2 but it was still a fun experience i just think that that deck especially will take a lot of learning to do let me ask you this, Rick. Did you did you feel like um, in the cases where you were losing to that deck that you were having trouble winning with, it was just sort of like a coin toss in those cases? Like if you'd gotten different draws in the games that you were playing with it, you would have probably won. But, you know, it just so happened that luck wasn't going your way that day. Or, you know, was it was it some other factor in in the games? Just with, with that deck, I know that there's paths and lines to victory, but I just couldn't find them. So it's really more of a case of the difficulty of, you know, sort of the, the, the grand difficulty of Sealed is that you don't get the chance to really play with the deck and learn it before you have to rely on it to win. Exactly. I gotcha. I gotcha. Blake, you did well that day. What, what was your experience like? I absolutely loved it. And it was a perfect experience for me because I did get to go to chains twice and the bidding process and playing with chains was really helpful because um, of yesterday having to play with chains in a chain bound event. That was uh, six chains, which was the most I've had to encounter. And I got to actually experience that on the weekend. So my experience was that having a complex deck that you could understand right away was at your advantage because your opponent may not see the lines of play necessarily and that could be working for you when you're going uh, against them and they're using your deck and so I had that with my deck is I had really poor ember control but had some sweet combos like a double gray rider with some fang houses in it which were really great because that was I, disgusting yeah I could literally just get them and I, I would make them with the um, the golden aura I would use them I believe that's the card so it basically makes them fully healed, part of Sanctum, and they can't be dealt damage. So then I could start clearing the board, then play a Grey Rider, and furthermore clear the board. And if I got both my Grey Riders out, I could just start rule of sixing them. And I got to do that numerous times. And I even had my opponents get double Grey Riders out, and they put them on each flank and not even realize that they could start ruling of sixing with them. And it was just so much fun to just see that the intricacy of that deck and the play lines were not as obvious to other players. So they didn't get to pull off what I could do. And that was really fun. But my deck was honestly not that great. But it did have some success if you saw the lines. So it worked to my advantage. Um, when it came to the bidding strategies, uh, this was kind of the new element that we were all facing on this day. And the first time I did it, I was bidding for my own deck because I just did not like the other person's deck, and I thought I could win with mine if I Ember Rushed. I did not win, though. And shout out to our good friend Ryan, because uh, he's become my nemesis in SEAL tournaments. I have yet to beat him. <laughs> and uh, he took me down with his deck, because I did a really risky move of doing a Binite Rupture to put us both way over, but he was able to actually um, stop me and slow me down, and it just, like, I just... It was it was way too risky and I shouldn't have done it, but it was uh, it was a fun play nonetheless. So he took me down in that one instance, and then the next time I played against someone who had 
an amazing deck that had a swindle and double miasma and i think added too much to protect so they had so much ember steel so i knew i couldn't buy night rupture and get away with it because i think i tried and he double miasma me and just won so in the second game when i took his deck i also beat him with it because i just saw the way this deck went and so when i went to chains i was like i need to play this deck if i'm going to win this game this full match so i was willing to go up to um i didn't want to go above six so i knew i had to sell the sixth chain really hard so he went zero to start with then i went one then he went two and then i paused and i hum and hawed trying to put my best poker face on and i went to four and then he went five and then i really paused and i pretended like i was going to give in and then i pulled back and was like uh six and i made it like super hesitant like i really did not want to bid six and then he gave it to me which was what i wanted so i got it at six and I absolutely destroyed him with the deck because it was just really good at stealing and delaying the other person from uh, forging keys. And that's all you needed was those. If you could get two miasmas and delay two turns and you were on check because you could steal, it was fantastic. And that's how it worked out. It was great. The psychological warfare. I myself had a wonderful time that day. Um, it was funny because I played my very first game against you, Blake, and uh, I didn't think the deck was that hot. And then you and I sort of played our, our two out of three games and you beat me both games. Um, and watching you play with the deck, I think, is sort of what kind of twigged my mind of like, oh, here are the lines of play. And then I was able to do quite well with it for the rest of the day. So it was one of those things where just having sort of that experience of watching uh, a more experienced player uh, who thinks about the game a little bit differently really added a lot to the day for me so thank you very much for that on My top pleasure. of that uh it was just a fun deck like it had lots of interesting stuff going on it's not objectively a very strong deck in fact uh, i played a couple of games with it yesterday in between rounds of our archon uh game that we were playing uh, monday nights here at one stop games in vancouver and i was getting smoked with it um against people's like actual competitive decks but at the same time it just it has fun stuff in it and I really like, you know, sort of it's one of my first AOA decks that felt good to play. Like I've liked other AOA decks that I've opened and I've had fun playing with them. But this is the first one where I really started to like ease in and like the play started to feel really natural as the day went on, which was really cool. I really um, enjoyed and, playing your deck as well. It was so much fun to play. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, it, it was also one of those ones, too, where. Uh, then handing it to somebody else and watching them play with it added so much to the experience too because you could really learn from, you know, whether they were playing well with it or whether they were underperforming with it. Like you said, Blake, when they didn't see the lines of play, that teaches you a little something about the game and about the way that deck works, right? Like when you watch it underperforming and you know it could be performing better based on the cards that it has access to, 100%. that teaches you a little bit more about the game, which I think is really fun. So it was both a fun and educational day of Keyforge for everybody involved. I really hope we get the chance to play that format again sometime soon. That's why I just I love the adaptive format, because with certain decks, I can play no problem. Other decks, I'm just like, okay, you play it, you show me how it works. Yeah, that's a that's a cool strategy. And that's what you get to do in Adaptive. You get to see sometimes your deck being played by someone else and get some aha moments. And then for that third game, you'll know, okay, I want the chains on it because I know I can win. Yeah. And that made me think as well, like talking about all this, uh, people not understanding how to play decks is, what if you like go to Adaptive and you actually just bring a bad deck because you know that your opponent is going to basically have a good deck most likely because they're going to try and bring some sauce. 
and you just intentionally know you're gonna lose your game you play their deck and you hopefully can win with it because your deck's so bad and then you just know you got to always have that bidding strategy and then you're always playing someone else's deck i think that is a strategy i want to bring one time and see how it works out that's some four-dimensional chess yeah (laughs) i've never thought of that but that actually i like that strategy yeah, but you got to be be adept at, uh, I think, reading someone else's list. Because if someone else gives you a complicated list, that could backfire, I think, very badly. Definitely. As always, knowing the card pool, a huge advantage in the game of Key Forge. All right, uh, let's move over to our final segment. This one is the title of the show. We call it Help, Help from, future, from self. future Self. And it's a segment where we talk about those little level up moments, those moments where you learn a little something about the game that changes the way you play it forever. And almost every time we play Keyforge, we find ourselves learning a little lesson that's important to keep in mind. So this can be as general or as specific as we like. What have you got for us this week, Blake? So I learned my lesson yesterday playing Chainbound with my best deck. And so I went into this tournament with six chains. So I was having a disadvantage going into every game. I think I was the most chained deck that night. And... What I learned was that the cards in my deck that helped me win the game all belonged basically in two of the three houses. So I got into a situation where as the late game went on, I was constantly holding cards from this one house and not playing them because they were not going to help me win the game. They were not taking my opponent off keys. They were not disrupting their board state. And so therefore, I found that I got stuck sometimes with it and I would almost have to take a turn just to get them out of my hand. So in this case, I have a Logos, Shadows, Dis uh, house combination. And I found the Logos was amazing for early game because it had a lot of archiving and it had a lot of ways of just doing some shenanigans, but it wasn't really putting people off keys. So what I discovered was that I kind of want to try and get my Logos out of my hand as early as possible and even give up that first key at the expense of it because it allows me then to have a greater card pool of the cards I want for the mid to late game and really help close out a game and win. And so if I can't do that as well, then I basically need to, like, for example, I'd gone to a position yesterday on my last game, which was against Rick, where I got some of my most key cards really early in the game. And one of it is it has triple routine job, and I got all three of my routine jobs within like the first three turns. So that was not helpful, but I couldn't just hold them for forever. So I kind of was like, okay, now I'm going to go really fast and try and just plunge my deck into discard and having Yerks and things like that help because I was just being absolutely unreserved and just getting anything out of my hand and just drawing as many as I could. And then playing with the chains as well, having the experience from the weekend really helped because I started realizing I had to make plays sometimes that were, okay, this isn't the best play, but I have to make sure I keep shedding a chain every turn because if I'm not, I'm putting myself at a disadvantage of getting what I need to win. So I really learned that sometimes you got to identify a house that doesn't help you late game and try and uh, go through it earlier on. So you're going to have less chance of it clogging your hand late game. Rick, have you got a help for future self from this week? I do. It's um, two parter. And it's again, thanks to our friend over here, Blake coach. Yes. That's going to be his new name, nickname, I believe. Um, (laughs) I, I've been just churning out with my best deck and I knew certain things I wasn't playing quite right, and Blake was talking to me about them. But I've learned that for Logos Scrambler Storm, I've I've learned just how beneficial it is, how important it is to my deck. If I'm 
in check and I play a Scrambler Storm, that, that key is essentially mine. And I've been using it a lot to get my third key and winning. So it's definitely helped me win a lot of a lot of games. And also I've been learning just exactly how to play my Brobnar, when to play it, and just it how it doesn't prevent me from winning, which it has been done in the past because I've been playing it wrong. Word up. For my own part, this is something that once again, coach coach gave me a little bit of schooling on and it was, it was a, <laughs> a, a pretty big moment for me. Um, we were talking about uh, the deck that I was playing in sealed adaptive and uh, I had said, all right, well uh, I got the Glixel proliferator out here on my flank. He's a creature that allows you to archive a Mars card from your discard pile. When you reap, if he's on a flank. And uh, I, I had said to you, Blake, um, you know, which one of these would you, uh, you know, want to want to get into your archive so that you could use it on a future turn? The Hypno Beam or Mars First? And of course, Mars First is the one amber pip card that says uh, play ready and use a friendly Mars creature. Pretty handy. And Hypno Beam is the Mars inst- or action that says gain control of an enemy creature. And you said Hypno Beam 10 times out of 10. And I said, why? And you said, because you're taking something away from your opponent and giving something to yourself. And as much as I had applied that thinking to steal in terms of Amber, I had not thought about it in other terms. And you're absolutely 100% right. Hypno Beam is the far superior card in that case because it is not only putting your opponent at disadvantage, it's putting you at advantage. Um, I don't know if this counts as card advantage in the game of Keyforge. Um, as we all know, card advantage doesn't really work the same way in Keyforge as it does in other games due to the way that draws work. But it was a real moment that made me keep things in mind for future games of Keyforge. Anytime that a one-card play can take something away and give something to you in the same go, that is your optimal play. Oh, yeah. That's why steal is such a powerful effect because it essentially, if you're stealing one, it essentially is a two-swing. If you're stealing three, it's essentially a six-swing. That's why I think Swindle is, as situational as it is, I think it's an extremely powerful card if you don't have to hold on to it. If you can draw it right at that right moment, it is very powerful. Yep. All right. You have been listening to Help From Future Self, a casual Keyforge podcast. My name is Alex, but you can find me on Twitter and Instagram as at Scuzzy Gruen. Blake, where can folks find you? You can find me on YouTube for Boulevard Paper Fight. That's BLVD Paper Fight. And on Twitter is the best way if you want to have a conversation or just uh, send me a private message. I'm always up to jam some tabletop simulator if you want to get some reps with your AOA decks. All right. Rick, where can folks find you online? I am at Twitter at The Wheeling Keyforger. All right. Thanks very much for listening, Archons. We'll see you again so very soon. Keep forging.